This show is sponsored by Hive Mind CRM. It is more than just a CRM. It is a real estate and business mastermind that comes with an all-in-one CRM. You can have unlimited websites and users. You can call, text, RVM, and email all-in-one user interface. And you can set up custom automations for any type and multiple businesses. 65% of companies start using a CRM system within the first five years of business. Once implemented, the hive mind will save you on marketing, give you more time, and make more money. One of our users had his first $100,000 month using our system in June. We want to see you automate and accelerate your business. Text us at 210-972-1842 for future meetings. And of course, to get our $1 course on how to make more than six figures on one land deal. You can schedule your free demo today at hivemindcrm.io. All right, everybody. Hi, I'm Frank Spalding. This is uh, Daniel Martinez and our guest today, uh, Mark Marcellus on the Hive With Us Hive Mind podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, we're glad you're here. As you'll notice, we are on Zoom and not Restream. Unfortunately, we're having some technical difficulties uh, with the video today. Once again, we're with Mark Marcellus, one Airbnb at a time with a new upcoming program, three Airbnb, you know, three houses to financial success. Uh, just because you know, several years of experience and several of his clients have proven within three houses, you can be financially free using Airbnb uh, and the various other platforms. Mark does like to say Airbnb, you know, it's getting kind of like synonymous, you know, similar to Q-tips, you know, for all of the cotton swabs, you know, on the tips and stuff like that. Because he argued with me about it. I thought it should just be SDRs, but it makes sense and everybody uh, seems to agree. So Mark, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us about yourself a little. Okay. Well, my name is uh, Mark Marcellus, Jacksonville, Florida. Airbnb consultant, which means I help people set up and run their Airbnbs. And we, uh, you know, as an example, in the Jacksonville area, we collected $2.8 million in rent in the last 12 months, spread out over 104 Airbnbs. That's quite impressive. Wow. That is impressive. How long have you been uh, doing Airbnb, Mark? I've been doing Airbnb since 2017, and I've been investing in real estate since 1995. Wow. Okay. 1995. How did, how did you end up in real estate anyway back in 95? That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was born into it. It actually dates before that. When I was uh, 12 years old, my, I was typing up contracts, real estate contracts for my mother in the wow. uh, real estate office that my grandmother had. And my dad walked in and put a paintbrush in my hand and said, come on, man, we're going to go paint this house. And I've pretty much been in real estate ever since then. But in 1995, I bought my first house. I was in my early 20s. I actually bought two houses subject to. I subsequently sold one and lived in the other. And I still have that one. And yes, it is a current Airbnb. Wow. You're a longtime Airbnb holder. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool, man. It's cool. It's cool. You've been in the game a long time, and you've kind of accelerated. Were you doing a lot of flips and stuff? And are you you kind of evolved, of course, through through the years? But Airbnb is a newer thing since you've been in real estate because you've been in real estate a long time. Is this the only thing you're doing now? Is Airbnb, or are you still doing other stuff aside? Well, yeah. I mean, I still have my insurance company, 
I still am investing in real estate. And when it's appropriate, I'll take the property and put it on on the Airbnb. And when it's not appropriate, you know, I just do long-term or, you know, exercise my other exit strategies, if you will. Gotcha. Are you doing arbitrage or are you doing straight up buying for Airbnbs? Uh, well, both. I mean, the, the last house, I, I do have a couple of arbitrages going, but the last house that I bought, I actually have a closing today in about an hour. But the, the last house that I bought before that, I was paying rent and I called the owner with the problem and he got a little grumbly. And I said, man, why don't you just sell me the house? Like, you know, then you don't even have to worry about it. And now we wound up striking a deal and, you know, I bought a house in this market, below market, it was pretty good. You never know where the deals are until you ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just kind of being, you know, in the world, you know, so to speak, you know, I rub elbows with people and, you know, if we have a deal that makes sense, then it makes sense. There's some investors that won't do a business with other investors. Yeah. You know, they're they're the guys that are buying the homes at the discount. They don't want to be selling them at the discount also. They want to buy at the discount and sell at the premium. And not for nothing, who doesn't, you know? But if you stumble into a situation in which it makes sense for both parties, they give a little bit of a discount, still catch a premium, then it can work. And either either it works or it doesn't. And it's okay either way. There's plenty of fish in the sea. So now my first understanding initially, I thought Airbnbs were just strictly vacation homes, and that does not seem to be the case. What is your experience and uh, how's that working out for you? Well, that relates to who is your customer. And, you know, I mean, Frank, you actually asked me to do a video about who is my customer and who is it that's renting Airbnbs, traveling nurses, traveling workers, you know, maybe somebody's parents lives in an exclusive neighborhood in Mandarin, and certainly there's plenty of hotels available in Mandarin, but they would rather be down the road in a Mandarin home that has a pool, you know, so that they're here to visit grandma. Uh, you know, that's three examples right there. And very few of my homes are quote unquote destination homes, you know, and and they're just everyday homes in everyday neighborhoods. You can buy them, you can rent them, you know, in anything you need, in anything you can do to gain control of those properties, you know, or you can even approach the owners and say, hey, would you like me to manage this for you? You know, work with you as a co-host on Airbnb. And there's different, you know, there's different involvements and there's different risk levels based on all of that. I mean, Frank, you you have a photo of patient zero, right? So you should you should put the photo up of, of patient zero and let me tell the story of that because I, I offered the owner, well, let's just throw it out on Airbnb together and we'll split the profits. But he was just too busy, you know, getting his business up and running that he just wanted to be paid rent and just and then just be done. And you know, he wound up later on becoming a client. So I hope that answers your question, Frank. <laughs> no, it's, it's such, such a crazy thing because like, I think, I think what's cool is that you're doing arbitrage. You're working with a lot of different clients in general. And then if they become disgruntled, you're buying their property too and kind of working that whole angle throughout the property because 
it's it's a weird thing. I've heard somebody else do this where they're doing property management just through regular renters. And one of the things they're doing is they, whenever they become a ma- property manager, they're asking for first right of refusal if they ever want to sell while they're property managing. So that kind of gives an opportunity to actually buy the property and just continue managing the property at that point. So it's kind of like a, a whole, a whole, it's a revenue source and lead generation source all at the same time while you're making money doing it. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. There's three types of Airbnb investors, okay? It's real simple. It's just the lions, tigers, and bears. Lions are people who, they're professionals, doctors, lawyers. They make plenty of money, and they have very little time, and they have resources to go buy a home, right? So that's a, that's a lion. A tiger is an existing investor that has a number of homes already. They want to analyze their portfolio, find one that makes sense, convert it to an Airbnb, and then test the market out. Now, when I say test the market out, what I mean by that is you're going to try the Airbnb with just one home. If you don't like it, no harm, no foul. You're no longer in the Airbnb world. You're no longer just in real estate. Now you're in hospitality, and that's a different animal altogether. And it's easy to say, but nobody knows what that means. You know, I, I remember the feeling I got when I stayed at a Waldorf Astoria, and they wrote me this letter thanking me for staying. And I'm like, who does that? I mean, Holiday Inn certainly doesn't do that. But you know what I'm saying? We started writing letters to our people, thanking them for staying. And our results and our reviews immediately started going back up because nobody does that. You see what I'm saying? And the, the, so, the, so that covers the tigers, the lions. The bears are your guys that want to get into real estate, don't know what to do, haven't gotten started. Maybe they're junior executives or they're workers. I mean, heck, maybe they're 20-year-old college students. I mean, a 20-year-old college student can wholesale a house. I mean, it ain't, it, it's, it's not you know rocket science. You know what I mean? You don't need an advanced degree in licensing to do it. But, but those guys, you know, they, they're really prime for the arbitrage angle, you know? And, you know, by the time you pay rent, then it's difficult to pay somebody as a co-host. So, you know, we're going to go to a mom and pop landlord and say, look, I want to rent your house and I'm going to put furniture in it and I'm going to put it out on Airbnb, but I'll make sure that you get your rent paid every month. And some landlords will go for that. And those are the only ones that you concern yourself with. A lot of them will be skittish about that. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. All you can do is try and find one that'll play ball with you. Some of these guys are actually going to the corporate leasing locations. They show up at an apartment complex and they'll say something like, you know, look, I've got a company that wants to rent a, a block of apartments and they sent me here to ask me how many apartments do you have vacant right now? And they may say, well, we have five apartments vacant right now. And if you say to that leasing agent, if you rented all five of those to a company, would that help you at all? 
Well, what do you think they're going to say? They get a bonus based on their occupancy, right? So you're single-handedly walking in, offering a solution to the current problem that they have. They have 5, 10, 15, 20 units that are ready to go that are vacant. And, you know, we're offering to take five of them as an example. You see what I'm saying? So somebody that's just getting started would be perfect like that. And then, bam, before you know it, you have five Airbnbs. You got to figure out how to get them furnished. You got to disclose to them what you're doing. You, you got to work out all the money and work out the arrangements and figure out how you're going to pay for it, where this money is going to come from. But then once you do that, I mean, there are no barriers to this business. Like you throw furniture in a place, get permission to use the place, get permission to Airbnb, get permission for the, for the people staying there to get into the gym and the pool. And man, you, you, are, you are in business, up and running. That's crazy. What are, have, you, have you done that before with apartments? I have not done that before with apartments because I'm in a market. I was born and raised here. Yeah. So I just start showing up to networking events and everybody knows who I am because I'm, you know, it's just, hey, it's the way it is. <laughs> you know, so I've been, only, I've been in Jacksonville for 50 years. So, you know, I grew up in a little, little uh, country town south of Jacksonville called Middleburg. So I've never had to do that. I've always just been able to pick up the phone and call Jeff or call Glenn or, you know, call somebody and then make it happen. And that's not to say that you can't go to networking events and meet mom and pop people, you know, and, and rent from them. It's just a matter of getting into the habit of getting out there and, and meeting with people and networking, you know, I mean, you know, what do they say? Your net worth is in your network. Yeah. You know, and that's what it's all about. So I've never really, I've never really had to go the corporate game. And when I looked at becoming an Airbnb consultant, right, you know, somebody approached me and said, listen, I want to buy a house. I'm, I'm an agent. I also have a real estate license. I don't do much, quote unquote, realtoring. But at the time he said, hey, you know, go find me a home and you can have the commission and we'll put it out on Airbnb and we'll test it. Well, that was the first time that I had done the consulting. And what's the first thing that I realized when he made that offer to me? You realized you had, a, you had, a, you had something else to offer that you didn't know you had to offer. Bingo. And I, my risk is reduced tremendously. I don't have zero risk because I have an account that I need to preserve that has to, have, that has to maintain a good reputation. But I certainly don't have the same risk that I have, you know, being the guy to buy the house, being the guy to furnish it, being the guy like, let's make no mistake about it and no qualms about it. This is a high risk venture. You know what I'm saying? For every dollar that a tiger is accustomed to making as a, as a long-term rental, we can earn three, okay, in the Airbnb world, but it'll cost you one. So the net result is you double your income. I ask you, what are you willing to go through to double your income? I understand, you know, somebody says, well, twice is nothing, still nothing. Okay, got it. But, you know, outside of that, if you were accustomed to making 5,000, what would you do to bump that up to 10? If you were accustomed to making 10,000, what would you do to bump it up to 20? I mean, I got guys, they have 15 homes. They make more than what doctors make. 
and they don't work as many hours as doctors. They do work, but they don't work 80, 100 hours a week. I'm not slamming doctors. You need doctors. I love doctors, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying I've, I've, I've got clients where one of the spouses is a doctor and that, and that's my jam. It's like, you know, you're going to make more than Dr. So-and-so like, you know what I'm saying? And they, you know, they kind of get an elbow they had 12 years of school. And here I am just buying real estate, doing Airbnbs and it's happening. It's yeah. happening. It's a lot of work. It's an uphill battle. It's a fight, but isn't anything, you know, that that's worth it going to be a fight. John Maxwell says everything is uphill. If you ain't going uphill, you sliding downhill. But let me ask you this question. So if anybody's Airbnb host, how do they become a super host? What's the fastest way to become a super host? Yeah, well, I, I attained super host status and I lost it during the pandemic. And one of the things that we did to get it back was we implemented automated messaging and it's like instant responses to like 90% of the standard questions that come up, right? And that brought my rating up, you know, two ten to like, you know, basically two tenths of a percent. You have to maintain 4.8. During the pandemic, we fell down to, we, had, we were at 4.9. We slid down to 4.6. And then we're, we climbed back up to 4.7. So I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like one click away from gaining, you know, super host status. But that was during the pandemic. That was 2020. Here we are in 2022, and I still collected $2.8 million in rent. So, so it's not a necessity, but it's, it so it's not in this. It's a status thing. It's a status thing. It's like, oh, I'm super host. And yeah, you get a little bump in the algorithm. And, you know, it's a badge. It's a button. It's a piece of flair. It's whatever. Do I, you know, do I want it back? Absolutely. I want it back, you know, and we're close. And, this is this is one of the secrets of the Airbnbs and that I have these owners, they want their money. They don't care about the rating. Well, of course, they don't care about the rating. It's my rating. So they want their money. I mean, look, it is what it is. So one of the things that I'm doing to bridge the gap on this 10% and my, my tech guy, he does a lot of research on Airbnbs. He has a couple of them himself. He told me, he said... Superhost is not an action, it's a mindset. When we have a problem, we offer a credit and instead of waiting for them to ask for one, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I we had an issue yesterday where the people came in and they weren't happy with the clean. So they I just told I told my virtual assistants, I said, Hey, offer to refund them the cleaning fee. You know, and they didn't ask for it work. back. I just offered it. You know, that's the kind of stuff that you have to do. You have to pick, okay, are you going to extract every single little penny out of every single client? Or are you going to use magic, make, make a great impression on customers, wow them with customer service and get that super host? Because I guarantee you, you know, that's what it takes. And does giving them that uh, that immediate rebate or that discount, does that usually stop them in their tracks before they uh, start complaining or take it, you know, does that de-escalate them fairly quickly? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, but look, people are people and this is the hospitality business, right? So it helps and that's what we're trying to do 
it's it's not perfect across the board, but it's a mindset. You know, um, I've you know said to you know I've said to people because we thought it was a function of how nice the property was. And to a certain extent, that's true. So we thought we'd get slick. We opened up a new account and we put all the swanky properties in the new account thinking, well, this is a nice property. So this goes in the, this goes in what we call the super host account. And, oh, this is a West side ship box. So, you know, we're going to put, just put this in the regular account, you know, if it gets a bad rating, whatever. But then we found that, you know, it is, it's, that's part of it, but it's also a function of the customer service. So there, I guess the best way to put it is, you know, they're, they're equally as important. Definitely. So now what, what's on the horizon? Let me ask you that. What's on the horizon for a, your Airbnb business and what else is on the horizon? Well, on the horizon, what we're looking to do is we're looking to figure out a way to expand from 100 to 300. And what we've determined is, is that it's just, it's just so hands-on that we're, we're having a hard time seeing, okay, how many people would I need to hire to be able to actively, you know, co-host 300 Airbnbs? And one of the things that we can do is we can try to find, you know, we can try to find owners that have their own boots on the ground people, and then they're just going to plug in to our matrix. So, They'll use our automated messaging. They'll use my VAs, or maybe they get their own VAs. They'll use their cleaners, their handymans, their lawn people, their bug people. It's their boots on the ground. I take a smaller percentage, and then they just plug into the network. And we see that as a viable option for going to 200, 300, even 1,000 homes. Well, um, and then that, that's, that's really great. It's really great, too, because if you think about it, the business is all the businesses is the systems. So if you incorporate the systems, you can plug and play any business. You can essentially help and incorporate any business that wants to run successfully and keep the rating up high. Right. And then, you know, Frank, to answer your other question about what we have, we're actually looking to expand our operations into teaching people to do what I do. I want to teach the lions where to go buy a new home. I want to teach the tigers. Okay, let's take a look at your current inventory and see which homes makes the most sense to get started with. And I want to teach the bears how to get started with rental arbitrage or find their own, you know, or maybe, you know, get them into a quad. They move into one, they can Airbnb out the other three. The numbers are just off the charts. You know, how just oh, how, how, how house hacking but Airbnb style. <laughs> yeah, house hacking Airbnb style. Yeah. And there have been there have been people that have done that too, where they'll just buy a house and instead of Airbnb units, they're Airbnb their other rooms. Everybody's gonna get started in their own place. And that's what the needs are different too. You know, a bear is gonna need something different than a lion would need. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, I got a guy, he's a lion for sure, and we got a contract approved for him to buy a pool home for $535,000. So he's putting $100,000 down. He's going to get a $435,000 mortgage. It's going to be about you know, $2,600 a month. And that home is going to make $8,000 a month. It's like, he's like, this is insane. I'm like, yeah, it's insane, but it'll happen. 
You know, I mean, we have homes that are just that are just performing exactly like that. I've got a home that's got a pool and a hot tub, right? Because the interesting thing about the a home will do, say, let's say a home will do four thousand dollars. Okay, a home with a pool would do like seven thousand dollars, and a home with a pool and a hot tub will outperform the home with just the pool. And it'll do eight or nine thousand dollars. Like I have empirical data on that. How about homes with just hot tubs? So uh, what the data says on that is that it's hang on just a second. What the data says on that is that it's about a 30% increase. So if it normally makes three thousand dollars, it would make four thousand dollars if it had a hot tub. So it is still worthwhile if you can't get a pool into your backyard to to really get a hot tub back there because it does up the overall value of the rental on a regular basis. Say that again. So at the very least, if you can't fit a pool in the backyard, you know, trying to get a hot tub back there somewhere on that property does up the value enough uh, to, to justify that cost and, you know, does bring in overall a 30% more profit you're seeing based on the data you've seen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This home that I'm buying has a pool and a hot tub and it needs a minor rehab. And the, 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 re- the number one reason that I bought it is because the seller did not want to quote unquote list their house. They just wanted it sold. So she would not allow the agent to list the house. But she said to the agent, if you bring me a buyer, you know, I'll, I'll, let's write the contract. So the, the end result is, is I got to buy a home. They named their price and that's okay. But I didn't have to bid on it. They're like, there's no bidding. There's no bidding. If you if you like this price, you know, you're good. Right. It, I mean, it's kind of like a sign of the market. It appraised at at a thousand dollars more than when I bought it. But I've got comps that support an extra fifty or sixty thousand dollars in value. So it's a little bit of the game where the appraiser is like, well, you know, here's the contract price. I'll just make sure that the appraisal comes in at the contract price, and then we're done. But it's really more. It's really worth more than that. But even, <clears throat> even still, I don't care because I'm in it for the long haul, and I'm going to extract you know eighty thousand dollars worth of income from that property every year. So it's just. Wow. It, I mean, it's a no brainer. That's crazy. How I know probably Florida isn't dealing with this, but I know I'm sure you've heard like Atlanta. They're only allowing one Airbnb per LLC. They're kind of regulating all that stuff. Are you afraid of how, how are you planning to overcome that if it happens in your market? Because that might really affect your business heavily. Well, what you're talking about there is a constitutional issue, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a slippery slope. A, a good constitutional attorney would have a field day with Atlanta right now it, because, they, you know, they just get them in a court and say, why are you telling Airbnb operators they can only have one property per LLC? And you're not saying that to people that will operate it, put trashy people in the house and have their houses get trashed over and over and over again. Like it's really a Pandora's box, but it also speaks to the risk of the business model. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people out there that are concerned that so many people are putting properties out on Airbnb, that there's going to be saturation. There's also people out there that are concerned that there's going to be inverse, right? Right. So many people are putting their properties out on Airbnb 
that there's not going to be any properties available for people to rent. To live in, to live in, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. It's like highest and best use, highest and best. Every opportunity you get, you're gonna uh, you're gonna gravitate to highest and best. And the um, and people say, what about low income housing? What about low income housing? What about it? What about it? The governor of the state of Florida said it perfectly. He said, you know what? We let the market decide. If investors want to get involved in low-income housing, they are free to do so, and they they can develop their business model. So I just, I mean, I just, it it's unconscionable to me that you know a government organization would say, oh, you can only have, you know, one one Airbnb per LLC. Well, number one, it's only two hundred dollars to create an LLC, so who cares? But number two. As soon as you know it starts working its way through the courts that they're making requirements for short-term rentals, telling people how to operate their business that they're not doing to long-term, there's your there's you've got a bundle of rights associated with the property, a constitutional bundle of rights, and they're violating that. Hmm. That's interesting because it, it's it, pe- people like everybody. It's, it's just like a. New, regu- new thoughts of regulation come out and it kind of scares people out of the market to even go down that path. So you're saying... <clears throat> Bye. See ya. Yeah, yeah. Get, exactly. get them out of the market. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's just... People just move through the market. <laughs> yeah, it's a high-risk venture. Out. It's a high-risk venture. No doubt about it. Yeah, and I, I believe that's also a lot more <laughs> of a risk in a state like Florida just because Florida is so tourist-centric. And is so dependent upon tourism. I mean, like you go to well, a market we like have, around. Go ahead. In Florida, we have that advantage that tourism dollars are super important in Florida because we don't have an income tax. Yeah, so, and you go to so, you, know, you go to some of the right cities in Florida, and there are just entire subdivisions now that are entirely short term only. You can't live. You know, some someone, you know, even a short-term tenant can't stay more than 179 days in some of the properties because they don't want anybody classifying it as their home. They want strictly vacation rental, short-term rental. You know, a lot of them classify the subdivision as a resort. So then they'll get away with charging a little bit more, you know, the uh, HOA fee by giving, they'll get almost a little bit water parkish with some of what they do for their clubhouse and the pool instead of a pool. It's, you know, it's a pool with a huge slide and, you know, they might have tennis courts there and some other stuff on some of these properties that normally, you know, you look at the units and it's like, you know, this looks like a $300,000 unit, but now they're getting $700 a month in HOA fees. And it's because they've got crazy resort amenities on top of all of that. And then they throw in their own rental program. So then, you know, there's a little competition there, but you know, it's uh, you know, is that something that uh, scares you trying to compete with some of those large nationwide operators? I mean, they're not happy about us, you know, but the end result is, is that we're putting out a product that the, that the market likes better, you know, one of the dirty secrets of the hospitality business is that the hotel business is designed to feed the restaurant business, right? Like if you stay at a hotel, your very best opportunity for a meal is a restaurant. Now you can always do, you know, you can always do the Aunt Jenny method, which was, you know, we get a pack of bologna, a pack of cheese, a loaf of bread, 
smack it together and we're eating, right? You know, Nowadays, peanut butter and jelly, right? But like I said, your service. best opportunity for a meal, right, <laughs> is is a restaurant. Yeah. Well, in our world, you get a whole kitchen, a grill, go to the grocery store, buy all your groceries, cook your food. It's just like being at home. And then I got this one piece of property that I'm co-host on. It's two acres in the middle of the city. University Boulevard. Look it up. I mean, it's just amazing. I had no idea there's a two acre piece of property in, in, in university right in the middle of the city. Well, there's two single family homes on that property. Right. And I, I negotiated a deal to rent to rent it to rent both of them to to a business owner. And the business owner hammered me. He's like, oh, you got you got to work with me. You got to lower your price. I'm like, no, I don't. Like, this is a steal. You know, you're putting nine guys in one house, eight guys in the other. How many hotel rooms are you replacing? You know what I'm saying? If anything, my price should go up. Yep, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a steal. If, if you're replacing, I mean, easily we're replacing eight hotel rooms in that scenario. Okay, so you can imagine the hotel lobby's not happy about it. And with hotels, you know, people say to me, well, why don't you just why don't you just break ground and just build a hotel? Just do an Airbnb hotel, which I would. I you know um, it's more risky. But, <laughs> right. And that's Definitely what I'm saying. More is, is, up front. And and more expensive front. There's there's a bigger it's so in business we look at barrier to entry, right? That's a matrix. There's a huge barrier to entry. I talked to a hotel guy, he's built, you know, five or six of them. And he's like, look. Let me walk you through all the steps. You locate a piece of property, 800,000, 1.6 million, 2.4 million, like whatever, right? Well, then there's all this stuff that you have to do, all this environmental stuff, impact studies. Okay, is the population dense enough to warrant, you know, marketing studies? You know, that's why having Airbnbs that are, that are close to hotels is a good idea. Because all that research is done that said they need a hotel there, right? So if they need a hotel, they need the Airbnb. He said, outside of the cost of acquisition, it's $100,000 and just crap before he can drop a shovel in the ground. You see what I'm saying? And then there's, you know, then there's all the regulation and then they're upset about that too because they're like, well, you know, we're highly regulated and they're not. So they're, they're working on, on those regulations. And that's fine, you know, because that's that's something completely different. But when they start doing things that they're they're doing to short-term rental operators that they're not doing to long-term operators, I'm telling you, it's a slippery slope. Definitely. So I have one final question before I have to take off. Uh, so unfortunately, I have to take off to grab my children here in a few minutes. But uh, what's a gold nugget you can share to someone who's just beginning, you know, ju- you know, just thinking about beginning and wants to start in this business? And I'm going to preface this from two angles, both the person who wants to learn how to do this so that they can do it themselves, and potentially the person who, you know, you said might be a doctor or dentist or have some other day job or business that's afforded them some money and they might want to pick up a house or have an extra house that they've got maybe as a long-term rental and they want to convert it and work with a professional like you, you know, what's a little nugget that can help them make that decision and proceed. Well, I don't know if you have, if you guys have a way of flashing this number on the, uh, on the screen, 
But one of the ways that they can do is, you know, just to kind of join our our little network of people that are doing it, bounce ideas and 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 learn. So, Frank, that number, you know, if you text HiveMind to, I'm going to get that number here. Do you have it, Frank? Uh, let's see. Give me just a second here. 888-534-6033. Text HiveMind to that number and you're going to get a free PDF of nine things you need to know before you start any Airbnb business. And I've that's given a must. URL also, just so you know, to Daniel, so he can have that edited in to the Zoom before it broadcasts. Seems well, you, we yeah, that's just the, the number. That's just three houses to financialfreedom.com. Correct. So that's that's one that's one way that I could start is is you know we're developing and putting together a group of people, group of like minded people, where we can kind of bounce ideas off of each other. We're developing a training program to help lions, tigers, and bears decide where they want to get started, you know, and, 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 you know, we have a network, we have, you know, kind of like a mini mastermind of people that come together and bounce ideas off of it. You know, that, that I, I kind of hope that helps. Yeah, that, 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 that does. That does. No, it's, it's really, it's really cool. Cause there's a lot of people that, that get stuck up on like all the stuff that could happen or might happen. And they won't even take action to it, but it's kind of cool that you have the data that it only takes three properties to become financially free. That's even that's even cooler because a lot of people think it's unattainable and they're still working nine to fives, and it might they might think their their financial goal is going to take 15, ten to fifteen rental properties. You know, well, right. well, think think about this, right? If you can get to three homes, you know, somebody might say, well, even if I was cash flowing fifteen hundred dollars a home three homes is only $4,500 a month. There are people out there that say that, I mean, that doesn't even cover my nugget. Okay. But think about the concept, right? If you can get to three homes, you can get to six. If you can get to three, you can get to six, you can get to nine, you can get to 12. Like once you get your first three, then you're going to know if this is your jam. Me, I knew it was my jam on, you know, Airbnb number one. I was just like, I, it was no brainer. I mean, we we started applying like ROI, cap rates, cash on cash returns. And when you start calculating like that, like for a long time, people looked at me like I had three heads. I'm like, yeah, you know, we got a cap rate of like 22%. And I'm like, get out of here. That's ridiculous. Nobody's got a cap rate of 22%. I'm like, and my whole thing was like, Oh, okay. I, I, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't engage them. Like, yeah. okay, if you can't see it, you can't see it. And then what I started doing is I started showing my bank account and I started showing my financials. I was like, who does that? That was my proposal. Okay, well, let's take a look at the bank account. And they're like, wow, hey, look at that. Well, that's an operating account. It's not all my money, but I mean, it's okay, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then I said, but here's my accounting. And in the accounting, it's broken down by properties. And they're like, what's this little West Side house? How did it make $80,000 last year? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a funny story. And that's when, that's when the co-host just started coming in droves, you know, because that, yeah, it's just, 
you know, when you when when the money's already been spent to acquire the investment, and then you can just come along and offer value and double their income, you know, there's a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah. And then, you know, the number one way to mitigate the risk is with your skill set. Mm-hmm. So you got to buy these houses right. You got to rent them right. You, you got to do it in such a way that if you had to put a family in there, you could still be made whole. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that I'm really glad you said that too, because I think a lot of people, they're just going for the what Airbnb can make, but you really got to, you really got to understand the numbers. Like if worst case scenario, my Airbnb gets, goes bankrupt tomorrow. Can I still make a rent, put a renter in this and make it, make it make happen. Yes. That, I mean, that's a must. If you bought a place and the only reason it made sense is to Airbnb it. Don't do it. You're making a huge mistake. Huge. You, uh. you make, yeah. You're putting, you're putting your head on the chopping block. You're better off taking a pass on that home and, and, you know, doing something else. I have approached sellers that want to sell their home and it's been their idea to give me a hundred percent financing. That's how I bought the sixplex. You have a sixplex. It was the seller's idea to give me a hundred percent financing. Now it needed a hefty rehab. Okay. And so I took the rents that I was making on my Airbnbs and used that to finance the, the rehab. I didn't borrow the money for the rehab. I, I just, you know, took it as write-offs all along the way. Nice. And, you know, fast forward to today, I have six units, four of them are Airbnbs, and it cash flows $8,500 a month. Wow. Each, each building, there's three buildings, each building has a $600 mortgage payment. Wow. My, that, my wife's like, that'll pay for, you know, our daughter's college. I'm like, yep, just that property alone. And at the time I bought it, it was the biggest investment I'd ever made. So cool. I was like stretching and growing and expanding my vision as well. So your three properties, and this is where you kind of get into buying good properties is that even one sixplex can make you financially free at that point. And you're, you're green, you're green in the Airbnb business just with one sixplex. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing story, man. That's, that's really cool because it kind of opens up opportunity because now you look at it through a different lens and I can make a lot more money doing this in Airbnb. Right. And look, that sixplex I think is worth about $650,000. Yeah. I would rather have the monthly income than the $650,000. Some yeah. people say that's stupid. I'm like, okay, I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. Now, if, if somebody came along and gave me $900,000, I'm like, okay, I can redeploy those assets into pool homes and now I'm good. Like that makes sense. You see what I'm saying? Well, I mean, I mean, even- But, if but, doing, but the, the rents on the sixplex, whether it's Airbnb or regular rents, would not warrant a $900,000 price. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean- That's kind of like a pie in the sky number that I had. I mean, 8,500- Somebody would literally have to be okay with a 0.75 cap rate. Nobody's going to do that. And I acknowledge that. Yeah. So I'll just take the income and be fine. I mean, 8,500 a year out of six pack, that's 100 grand a year revenue just off of that. That's right. Easily. So 
I mean, you're, you're, you're getting your, your cash on cash return totally paid off in six years. If you put hundred percent towards the purchase price, but you're not. So right. it's still, it's still a great deal either way. That's an amazing deal. It's an amazing deal. What? Yeah. So, uh, it was a no brainer. It was a no brainer. So uh, what, and I what, bought what, it. I bought it before the pandemic. Okay. So, so I only, I only paid $50,000 a door. Oh, nice. Okay. Like, you know, People would give their right arm for $50,000 a door purchase now, nowadays. <laughs> That's funny. Well, what books have really impacted your growth and your life in general? So there are, there are three books um, that I've read that have had a huge impact on my personal life and my business life. So th- the first one is The Richest Man in Babylon. I actually, I actually read it when, when I wore a younger man's clothes. And it really just talks about financial principles, talks about you know, how things were at the dawn of civilization. They didn't have banks back then. You, you carried your money with you. Uh, if you had money, uh, you carried it with you. And if you lost it or if it got stolen, it was gone. And it just it had some basic principles that I always kept in the back of my, my mind. And I started using talking about separating the money out paying yourself first, you know, that kind of stuff. That's a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. It's a quick read. It's a cool read. The author's name is George Clayson. So I highly recommend that one. The second one was, you know, I had a mentor at one point and he literally said to me, why are you worrying so much? Why are you worrying about this? Why are you worrying about that? I'm like, I don't know, just like concerned about, you know, what blah, blah, blah happens. And he gave me a book. And the book was How to Stop Worrying and How to Start Living by Dale Carnegie, that Dale Carnegie. And in the book, the examples in the book are extreme. Like there are people just dealing with incredible things like, you know, huge financial devastation, uh, lawsuits, you know, death of close family members, super close. just like, you know, just really, really bad stuff. And I wasn't, you know, dealing with nearly anything like that. But essentially, the big takeaway on that was, is, okay, so you're worried about something. Well, play it out in its worst iteration. Tell me what is the worst thing that can happen. And then just act as if that happened. What are you going to do now? And that was just like enlightening. You know, it was like lifting a weight on my shoulder. I don't have to worry about it. If it doesn't happen, I don't even have to like waste brain power on it. But if it does happen, I've got my plan. Like, man, if, you know, if this happened to me, this, this would be devastating. But here's what I do. You know, I told my wife one time, I said, I said, they can take it all. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, they could take the job. They could take the property. They could take the cars. They get like, you could take it all away from me. If I had my wife and my kids. I could always just start over again. You know, that, that question, Grant Cardone has been asked this question before, I'm sure. Um, actually, I saw a video of it. They're like, if you had to start all over again, fresh with nothing, what would you do? And he's like, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. And that's how he became the undercover billionaire. Like, you know, but, but it's like, what would I do? Like, I have, you know, I have these skill sets. So I can always use them no matter what happens. Yeah, if, well, that, if that makes any sense. 
information is always growing and building, so you can't take that. Yeah, the information is always always growing, always building, it's always out there. You know, my mother taught me how to buy houses with no money down long before gurus were talking about it. It's just that it was my mother, and I thought she was crazy. But you know, when I saw everybody else teach, I'm like, this is all that. I, you know, I, she told me how to do this in 1995. Where have you guys been? You know, and it's like, okay, whatever. But it's, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the, the other book that I read that was highly impactful was T. Harv Eckert, The Millionaire Mindset. So that book was cool for a number of reasons. The, one of the coolest things, you know, like operationally speaking from the book is that his personality comes across so much in the book. I remember reading the book and thinking, man, I would just like to have, sit down and have a beer with this guy. Cause he was just it, like, his personality came across like it was just, and he, you know, he went on to become very wealthy, did very well speaking the books, you know, his training programs, just like all kinds of stuff. And his mother had a value system, like just like this deep ingrained idea that if you're rich, you have to be a bad person, right? If you're rich, you have to be a bad person. Well, he figured out an ingenious way to solve that. He bought his mother a condominium in Hawaii. And he said, well, that accomplished two missions. It got my mom out of my hair six months out of the year. And she no longer thinks rich people are, are terrible people, you know? So like it, and I just, I, it was just, it was so impactful. I was like, man, that's amazing. But really what he talks about is, you know, separating your money as it comes in, you know, there's a book out there now called, you know, pay yourself first, you know, that kind of deals with the same concept, but basically when I have money coming in, I divide it into thirds. So a third of it, you're going to have to set aside, pay taxes, business expenses, whatever. A third of it is going to have to be for operating expenses. And then a third I can use to pay bills, right? The underlying concept is, is that if you cannot manage $20 or if you cannot manage $2,000, you won't be able to manage $20,000, right? And you know what's going to come first, the chicken or the egg? I understand that if you take your income and divide it by a third, you're probably not going to have enough to pay your bills. Okay. And, and it's okay. You just have to work through it. And, and now you have a baseline. So many times the baseline is let's make this much, let's spend this much. And I'm trying to get people to lower their baseline. It's a psychology thing. If you put, if, if, like, if you put brain power on it, you will figure out how to raise your income. So that a third of your income pays your bills and not your whole income pays your bills. And you just, you just keep doing that. And I've had people tell me, well, I can't do that. I'm like, why? Just do it and then move the money back. The one day you'll do it and you won't have to move the money back. And now you're in the habit of doing it. Oh, it's like you can't see the forest for the trees. And it talks about money magnetism, just a lot of things. Like you find a quarter on the ground, you know, what are you supposed to say? You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am a money magnet. I'm going to pick that up. And I'm going to take it with me. Not because the quarter does anything magical, but because it's on your mind. I'm a money magnet. Next thing you know, your mind starts finding ways 
to bring additional sources of income. It, it, I, it was life-changing. It, it, it was life-changing. That's good. That's good. What is a quote that is somebody else's, yours or somebody else's that you resonate with? Ooh, man. Well, I've kind of already said it, you know, your net worth is in your network. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's pretty powerful. You know, you know, another one that I have is, you know, more of a, on a personal nature, you know, is, you know, how many, how many summers do you have left with your kids? You know, like, think about that. Like my, my son is 13. So there's only six summers left. My daughter is 16. So there's only two summers left. You know what I'm saying? So those are, those are impactful and, and cause me to, you know, make decisions. You know, uh, I make, I make, I make decisions accordingly. Yeah. The uh, understanding and realizing that your time is limited, especially with your kids and loved ones that your parents, you might only speak with them. You might only see them if they're out of, if they're not, they don't live where you live. You might only see them 10 to 15 times before they pass away and they're gone. And the opportunity you have to make, make a connection and make a long lasting connection, especially with your kids. I mean, your kids, you got six summers left. What are you going to do the six summers to make an impact for me? My kids We're going are- to Europe, baby. Let's go. Nice. Nice. Um, oh, here's right. <laughs> That's another one. Die with memories, not dreams. There you go. That one kind of messed me up. Die with memories, not dreams. It, 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 it really puts things in perspective. Like my kids, my oldest is turning five this year. So I'm like, I was like, got to put her in school. I'm like, no, why are we going to send her to school? Like school's the next 10 years of her life. Why are we going to put her in early? Let's, let's enjoy the time we have while she's home and messing with her, with her siblings and stuff like that. Like you got to, you really, you really have to enjoy the time you have because you don't know how much time you have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saw something, you know, I, I didn't really like everybody kind of sees everything now, you know, they, they don't, they don't see the struggle. Like they don't see what I went through. Like I was, I was, you know, it's kind of a funny story on, on how we got started with all this. And it had to do with centering around the kids, finding a way to grow the business and still have time for the kids. But, you know, I was running an insurance company and I was having a modicum of success, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, I was just kind of keeping the bills paid. I wasn't really kind of getting ahead, you know, but my counterparts, they were out there crushing it, doing really well. And I had to deal with that, like in my mind first. And then my wife kind of picked up on it. She's like, you know, these guys are out there crushing it, you know, and we're and like, we're doing okay. But why aren't you out there crushing it like them? And, you know, no fault to her, you know, as you know, it, it, like security is very important to women. So it, it really, it hit me hard. It really hit me hard. You know, that, that sinking feeling in the stomach, I had nothing to say. I was speechless. You know, I wanted to take Madeline to uh, let her go on her Washington DC trip. And I was in a situation in which I had the time to do it. So I did, but you know, we didn't, we didn't really have the money to do it. So we had to raise the money to do it. We figured it out. We got through it as we often do. Like, you know what I'm saying? But if that scenario had happened now, it just would have been like, okay, here you go. You know, like, we'll just take care of it. 
It's like, it's no big deal. You know, there was, she wanted to do an SAT training. So we went to this whole thing. It was big, you know, hullabaloo. And they were like, oh, we have payment plans. We have that. I'm like, no, nah, just whatever we got to do, just take care of it. And she went through her whole SAT training. Like, so like you see the difference, but everybody sees that and nobody sees, you know, the challenge and the struggle that I went through feeling, you know, like I was letting my family down or watching my bank balance go down, you know, woefully low, you know, going, man, I know this thing is going to work. I'm just going to go all in on it. You know, they, they, they don't see the struggle. I'm sure we've all seen a picture of the iceberg where people see, you know, all the rainbows and, and all that kind of stuff. And they don't see what we went through to go through that. Oh man, you really got me with the quotes, man. So another one is Eric Thomas, you know, everybody wants to shine like a diamond. Don't nobody want to get cut. I've never, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that one, but you yeah, get, get came right out of his mouth. You got Eric Thomas, ET. Everybody wants to shine like a diamond. Nobody wants to get cut, but it's, it's, it's that cut that you have to go through. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm, I've kind of, I've been through a few things. I've been that guy that yeah. had to throw all the bills up in the air, right. And pay the ones that land face up. The other ones, they'll just wait. I've been through that before. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. And that's, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the journey. Yep. And there are no guarantees. I, something could happen and I might, I might be back there again. Who knows? Yeah. You know, but I just rely on my skill set and just start grinding. You know, when the wholesalers cranked back up again after the, after the economic downturn, there were people that were wholesaling properties for $750. They'd literally lock a contract up for, you know, 80,000, sell it to somebody for 81,000 and make a thousand dollars. Crazy. Crazy. Right. They had the skill set. They just, then they just got started. They just get, cranked it back up again. You know, I, I started back up after the, after the economic downturn, I started back up in 2016, but I, you know, there were a lot of people that started back up in like 2012, 2013. And it, I mean, you're literally, you know, getting wholesale deals right off of the MLS, you know, <laughs> those days are, you know, those days are gone. <laughs> no it just shows the ever-changing times this is uh this has been a really good i think we covered a lot today i mean from airbnbs to just building a great foundation and kind of betting on yourself it was, it was a lot we covered today i really appreciate your time mark definitely the number is 888-534-6033 you just text the keyword hive mind and that'll send you the the pdf of where to start where to get started right that's right yeah, just join our network. Just jump in. Uh, we're putting content out and we're, you know, going to do webinars and we're going to do meetups and we're just, you know, we're going to have a lot of, a lot of things where you can come and enjoy and, you know, hang around like-minded people and bounce ideas off of everybody, you know, and then that's what we want. We want to create a community. That's amazing. Well, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. I, I really enjoyed it. I know I appreciate Frank for participating as well. And I hope people get value from this and I uh, hope you see us in the next episode. The show is sponsored by The List Guys. Do you need more leads in your local or virtual market? 
one in 10 small businesses don't invest in any kind of marketing. The list guys have over 35 plus list types to choose from and you can mix and match any list or criteria. We also use the skip trace list and provide up to seven numbers and email addresses. Every list you purchase will be scrubbed against previous purchases. The list guys are here to save you time. Contact the list guys today at www.1listguys.com. That's www.1listguys.com.